The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Well, for survey question, does anybody here hope to be successful in life? Anybody? Okay. Anybody kind of shooting for, like, mediocrity? Probably not. We all want to be successful, and we, uh, we want to find things that we can do that bring success. We're kind of wired that way. Uh, we don't long for failure. We want to be successful. And there's some great principles in this passage uh, for being successful. So let's start by just reading... Uh, Genesis chapter 39, at least the first part of it. Uh, When Joseph was taken uh, to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, and and so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a single thing except for what to eat. Uh, We'll stop there and we'll also look at the next section, but we'll stop there for now. Uh, Joseph, uh, as we know, is sold by his brothers. seems to be a horrible event, but of course, if we know the end of the story, we know that God's hand is in his life and that it's all for a purpose. But Joseph doesn't know that yet. And if you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, uh, he finds himself a long way from home, cut off from his family in a strange land, as a slave to a very high-ranking Egyptian official, right? And while he's there, uh, he must work and serve, Uh, But God is in this. And, of course, as we read the story and as the narrator narrates it, he tells us clearly that God is with Joseph. And because of that, Joseph is very successful. And um, so let's let's first start by defining what we mean by success, because that's very important. What really is success? When it says that Joseph was successful, what's the... What's the narrator, author mean by that? Well, first of all, it's important to note that Joseph's success does not mean he was free to come and go as he chose and live life according to his own agenda, right? A lot of times we think that's what success is. In fact, we look at somebody who's on the Forbes Fortune 500 list. You know, they got their own sailboat and they got their fleet of jets and they got all the money in the world to do whatever they want, right? A lot of times we would say that's a very successful person. And what we mean by that is they've reached a place in life where they are master of their own life and nobody tells them what to do. Well, in the biblical definition, that has very little to do with success. In fact, um, 
you could say that Pharaoh and some of the other officials had that ability, but maybe were not experiencing true success. And certainly that wasn't true of Joseph. Here's a guy whose circumstances are as bad as bad as it gets. Well, it gets worse than the next chapter, right? When he goes from a slave to a prisoner, right? At least here he's got a little bit of freedom. Uh, so when we talk about success, it doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want. And as we look at it in this passage, success is always defined as uh, something beyond our circumstances. And in fact, this chapter and the next chapter, there are a lot of parallels uh, we're not going to look at chapter 40, but uh, this week, we'll look next week. But, you know, he ends up in the same situation in prison. But there also, it says that he is successful, right? And he finds favor and he does well. So, uh, so then what is success? Well, you, know, you go through this list and, and uh, it says that, that he was successful in everything he did. So in whatever circumstances Joseph in, whatever he's doing, whatever he applies his hand to, it works, Right? It just works. It, it's successful. It produces the desired results. And as a result, he's noticed by people around him, namely his, 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 his employer. And so he gets promoted. Right? And he, he gets promoted because success is riding with him. So he's, you know, he's moving up in the world. And these are things that the world would describe success as well. You're getting promoted. You're... Uh, you know, your, your boss notices, notices you because the things you do seem to work and seem to have effect and benefit, right? Does anybody want that? Right? Maybe, maybe you know what the next level up in your organization is and you don't want that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, that's what the world looks at as success. You move up the ladder. You're, he's given greater responsibility, right? He's given charge of the whole household of, of, of Potiphar, so he has a, a widening sphere of influence and, and responsibility. And as his influence and responsibility grows, so does his success in those things. So he handles his responsibility well. He fulfills all of his duties, and he does it masterfully. Right? That's what success is. Um, so you're going down the list, and uh, ultimately it says that uh, you know, he gets promoted, he gets more responsibility. And it says, from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's house and property, notice what it says. It says, the Lord began to bless. The Lord began to bless. Uh, that's an important word, and if you've been with us in the journey through Genesis, you see that word, you should go, ah, well, I know that word, right? Well, what's blessing about in Genesis? Well, it's really about God's covenant promises to his people. And it's a very important word and concept. And it really has the idea that God's hand is upon them. And that's really the picture. And I think if we're going to define success biblically, that's how we should do it. We should say success is meeting with God's blessing wherever we are in life. Okay? Meeting with God's blessing. And that's certainly what happened with Joseph. Uh, and it's interesting when you look back at the promise to Abraham and Isaac, uh, God clearly stated that he was going to bless them but not only that, but that they would be a blessing to the nations, right? And so here you see that being fulfilled in a very clear and direct, specific way. Joseph is so blessed that just by being part of Potiphar's household, uh, Potiphar's household is now being blessed by God. And it says he, that God is doing that. Why? For Joseph's sake, right? So I would define uh, kind of, well, I would have a, my only, my, my very limited, probably inadequate definition of success. Part one, I would define as success as being blessed by God. Okay, 
So in your ministry, in your home life, uh, if you're going to school, whatever you do, there's the hand of God upon it. It's being blessed, right, by God's activity, uh, by God's protection, by God's provision, by God working to make it fruitful and successful. That would be part A, uh, blessed by God. And uh, along with that can come things like position, status, authority, influence, prosperity, wealth, significance, right? Uh, and, and so what happens in, in the world standards is oftentimes we confuse the blessing of God with many of its benefits, right? And so a worldly view of success tends to favor things like the status, the position, the authority, uh, certainly the wealth. I mean, that's the part of blessing I really want. <laughs> you can have all the other things. Just pay me well, right? Because I want, I want to be blessed financially. Okay, it's the, kind of the basis of the prosperity gospel that God wants to bless you, which means he wants to make you wealthy. Um, honestly, I'm all, I'm all for that. I don't think that's the gospel. But, you know, if, if I can be financially improved, I'm not going to turn it down. Um, but there's something missing when the world sees only those things and separates it from those things as the blessing of God, right? We as Christians, we as believers, certainly in this story with Joseph, uh, it was clear that he was successful ultimately not because he had status, responsibility, influence, wealth, uh, which actually he didn't have. He was making his, <laughs> he was making his boss wealthy. Uh, but he had the blessing of God. Okay, so first thing. Second thing, and this is uh, as important or more important, that we have the blessing of God and we have all those things, whatever degree we have, those, those kind of worldly notions of success. But we have those things in line with God's purpose and plan. Right? Anything that can truly be called successful can only be true success if it's in line with God's purpose and plan. We see that in the story that, and of course we kind of know where this is going we've read, if we've read the story before. We know where this is all going. And that little phrase, for Joseph's sake, God bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Okay, we all know that what that means is that God is at work preparing uh, the path for Joseph to ascend to the second highest position in all of Egypt to bring God's salvation both to Joseph, his family, as well as many millions of people in the Nile Delta region, right? So we know that God isn't just doing this uh, kind of aimlessly or randomly, but it's part of a very uh, clear and specific plan of God, right? So if we're to evaluate success in our own life, it always has to be measured by those two criteria. First of all, is it an evidence of God's blessing in my life? And secondly, is it in, clearly in line with God's purpose and plan? Now, it's interesting, God's purpose and plan oftentimes can come without us being successful. We saw that last week in the fascinating story of Judah and Tamar. <laughs> I'm glad that one's over. If you missed it, well, I'll let you figure it out on your own. Uh, Judah saw God's promise and plan move forward, but really without success in his own life, right? It is, it is possible to see God's plan move forward in your life by his grace and really not meet with success. I mean, his life was kind of a failure. Um, but that's not what we want, and certainly that's not the picture Joseph had. Joseph is a guy who's very much in line with God's purpose and is participating with God and seeing his, 
his blessing come in his own life and in his circumstances. Um, so true success is, is ultimately by the hand of God for, for his ultimate design and purpose. And in our own life, as we evaluate our life, which I hope you do once in a while, don't, don't do it all the time. You know, if, you, if you spend too much time analyzing your life, it, it could be depressing. Okay? So you know, once in a while is good. Right? Uh, we always need to measure it in, those, in, in that light. Am I seeing God's hand blessing, working, moving? Right? And, and do I see somehow this weaving together for God's ultimate purpose and plan not just in my life, but his plan for the world and the universe. His plan for time and history. Um, you know, the world may look at, at you, may look at me, and, and may not see us as being very successful, right? Um, as believers, our values are different. And at the end of the story, um, you know, poor Joseph gets, gets thrown in prison because Potiphar's wife kind of goes off on him and uh, love turns to hate and he gets the worst of it. Um, that's how it is for us in the world. The world may not view us as being successful by their standard. Uh, this last week I was just reminded of that, thinking of this passage powerfully. As you know, Steve Jobs, founder of uh, Apple, died of pancreatic cancer this past week. And I saw online a little news blurb about him. Uh, and, you know, most of the articles, most of the blurbs, most of the stories were singing his praises as a man of huge success, right? And certainly, by the world standards, incredibly successful, right? Incredibly successful. But listen to this. Jobs was asked by Pulitzer Prize nominee Walter Isaacson to write a biography of his life. Uh, when asked by Isaacson why he wanted an authorized tell-all biography after living such a private, almost ascetic life, this is what Jobs said. Get this. He said, I wanted my kids to know me. I wasn't always there for them, and I wanted them to know why and to understand what I did. Right? Well, I thought, that is sad. That is sad. I mean, here's a guy who's 56 years old, days away from his death. It was the last interview this author had with him. And what is he thinking about? Is he thinking about computers and iTouches and iPhones and electronic gadgets? He's thinking about what kind of a dad he was, right? And how he failed, and he's trying to figure out how to make up for a lifetime not of success, he said, how can I make up for a lifetime of failure with my kids, right? Um, was he successful? I don't think he thought he was. I don't think God thinks he was, right? Um, he may have been good at what he did, but was his life an evidence of God's blessing in line with God's purpose and plan, right? Well, certainly... Uh, you know, I believe we are all on a much different path. Praise God. Amen? Uh, we're seeking to be successful by God's design and blessing. Um, you know, Apple certainly has affected probably all of our lives to some degree or another. And uh, here's a guy who's influenced people around the world. But here's the deal. True success means you have the opportunity to influence people for eternity. Right? You know, it's kind of a sad, sick joke, but, you know, if uh, Steve Jobs is wherever he is right now, he's probably going, there's no service. I can't, can't get any service. Right? Okay, it doesn't last. It does not last, right? What God calls you to be successful in 
blessed for eternity. That's success, right? It's to be blessed by the hand of God, not just for a brief moment, but for eternity. Well, that's kind of what success is. The more important question, though, is what's the secret to success? Well, what was the secret to success in Joseph's life? Well, uh, come back to our slogan, blood, sweat, and tears, right? Common slogan. Uh, how many of you have heard that phrase as a slogan, blood, sweat, and tears? It's kind of a Western, maybe American phrase. Maybe you're from another country. You're not familiar with it. But um, do you ever wonder where it came from? Here's some fascinating history. Does anybody know where it came from? Anybody from England, the UK? No. Well, okay. For those of you from the UK, you'll be proud because um, the expression blood, sweat, and tears is usually said to have been coined by Winston Churchill. Right? In his famous uh, speech in 1940, when he first took over the government and uh, was bracing for war against Germany. And he said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Right? And of course, by that, he was saying, you know, I am going to work hard I am going to labor, I am going to persevere, and we as a country are going to pull together and by our, by our determination, by our effort, by our hard work, by our blood, sweat, and tears, and toil, we are going to overcome. Right? Um, and it has really become in many ways a slogan for success. Uh, if you were to ask the average person, what does it take to be successful? They would probably tell you something fitting with this slogan. Well, you, you work hard, you know, you get some, you got to have some talent, uh, you got to be diligent, maybe a little luck, but mostly you'll be successful if you apply yourself, if you work hard, right? Uh, how many of you have heard graduation speeches to that effect, right? Virtually every graduation speech I've ever heard, they tell you that. You know, you've graduated, but your life is ahead of you, and you could fail unless you, you know, Dig in with blood, sweat, and tears, and work hard, and then maybe you can be successful, right? And that's kind of the way it's portrayed. Hard work plus talent plus determination equals success. Um, I've heard actually many sermons kind of along that same line. Uh, but is that really what the Bible teaches? Does the Bible teach that you will be successful by blood, sweat, and tears? Right? Is that a biblical doctrine? Well, some would say, well, yes, it is, because we have this Christian Judeo work ethic. It must be biblical, right? Uh, the Bible teaches, you know, Proverbs. We're not supposed to be lazy, right? We're supposed to work hard. See, it's biblical, right? Well, I will agree, and I believe and would affirm that the, the Bible upholds the strong principle of work. Nowhere does Scripture endorse or encourage us to be lazy. Right? So if you're being lazy, okay, that's not God's will. God calls us to work. And throughout Proverbs, other places in Scripture, Paul says, let him who does not work, let him not eat. Right? Uh, we're called to work hard. But in Scripture, what is work about? Uh, we're to work hard, we're to be diligent, we're to develop our gifts and abilities. But all of that is to be done uh, not in the pursuit of success, it is to be done as an act of worship to God. Right? It is our service. We are to work hard purely as a matter of our service and worship to God. That should be the motive and incentive of our work. We are indeed to develop a lifestyle 
of hard work. We are to be responsible. We're to be diligent. Okay? We're to be the things that we see Joseph doing in this passage. Certainly is to be a part of our life and a mark and a characteristic. But nowhere does the Bible teach that that is a formula for success. Okay? Nowhere, and, and, and if you disagree, you can show me a scripture. I would love to see it. Because right? I think nowhere in scripture does the Bible say that we will be successful by our own blood, sweat, and tears. That certainly is not the message of this passage, right? Why is Joseph successful? What is the source of his true success? Well, notice what it says. Uh, well, the, well, you know, in verse 2, well, the Lord was am- uh, Joseph was amazingly talented, so he succeeded in everything he did. Is that what your translation says? Um, you know, Joseph was incredibly diligent and hardworking, so he succeeded in everything he did. No? Uh, Joseph, you know, sucked it up and toughed it out, so he was successful in everything he did. Now, what does it say? The Lord was with him. So he succeeded in everything he did. Incredibly powerful words. God was with him. So he succeeded. Notice what it says in the next verse. Potiphar noticed. Potiphar noticed his success. And not only did he notice his success, but he said that he realized, Potiphar realized that he was successful because God was with him. Now, I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if it means... Uh, maybe it meant that actually Joseph, Joseph wasn't that talented. And he looks at this slave, this Hebrew slave, no status, no position. And he's looking at this guy, he's got no education, not a lot going for him. And everything he touches works. He's being successful. And he's going, well, this can't be because of him. It must be because God's with him, right? So he noticed, he noticed that. He noticed that, uh, that God was making him successful. And it says, from the, from the day he was put in, Joseph was put in charge of his household, the Lord began to bless him. Okay? Uh, another translation says that God made everything he did successful, made it work. Right? Uh, pure and simple. Uh, the secret to sex success, and I believe this is true, and this story is true without Scripture. We could find dozens of Scriptures to support this. If success means God's blessing in your life as a matter of being in line with his purpose and will, then being successful is always simply a matter of God with us. Yeah, amazing truth. Okay, success is always boiled down to the simple formula. God's with me, I'll be successful. God's not with me, I'm in trouble. Right? I'm in trouble. It's just that simple. Um, Back to blood, sweat, and tears. This is very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, while, while it's rumored that this phrase originally came from Winston Churchill, to the dismay of many of you who are from UK, the real fact is the, the, the slogan was around uh, long before Winston Churchill. In fact, the first occurrence in print is in a book of sermons on various subjects by Christmas Evans. And Christmas Evans was a Welsh preacher known as the John Bunyan of Wales, described as an eccentric but widely admired preacher, which I think would describe a lot of people from Wales, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, The eccentric part. Um, In 1837, uh, his Welsh sermon, a Welsh sermon was translated, um, 
and note what he says. And this is the first in print use that we have of this phrase, blood, sweat, and tears. Notice his, how he uses it. Christ, the high priest of our profession, when he laid down his life for us on Calvary, was bathed in his own blood, sweat, and tears. Right? Uh, changes that phrase a lot, doesn't it? Right? Um, and I like this version of it much better. Right? Why are we successful? Well, we're successful ultimately because of the work God has done by his own blood, sweat, and tears. Right? Uh, Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he came as what? He shall be called Emmanuel. Okay, Jesus came and he died on the cross and he gave up his life. He poured out his blood, sweat, and tears so that God could be with us. Right? And whatever God did and how he was with people in the Old Testament like Joseph, uh, how much more freely accessible he is to us today because of Jesus. Right? We have, every single one of us in this room, through the blood of Christ, have absolute free, unlimited uh, access to God. Right? right? Hebrews says, you know, uh, Jesus, we have a high priest who, who knows our weakness, uh, and he, is our, uh, he, he suffers with, he sympathizes with our weakness. Let us therefore, what? Come boldly before the throne of grace. Right? Come boldly. We have absolute free access to God. We have, uh, we have all the barriers removed that God can be with us. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, you know, if I was going to write a book, it would be kind of a short book because I would have to write the book, The One Key to Success. The One Step to Success, right? There's not ten, there's not five, there's not even three. I can only come up with one. Right? The ones, and it would be a rather short book. It would just be simply, you need God. Right? If he's with you, you can't help but be successful. If he's not with you, there's nothing you can do to be successful. It is by his blood, sweat, and tears that he is with you, and he guarantees your success. I love this picture of Joseph. I mean, Joseph, just by being in Pharaoh's house, just by being there, caused uh, Potiphar's house to prosper and be blessed. Here's the deal. If God is with you, wherever you are, Okay, you are like the sun shining in a dark world, and all around you people are being blessed, probably in ways you don't even know, don't even know, because that's what God calls us to, to be a channel of his blessing to the world. And that's what God's doing in our life, and that, that is the key to success, right? Um, so if we want to be successful, if we want to pursue success, it simply should look like this. Uh, back a few years, there was a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness, right? And maybe see that movie, The Pursuit of... It's been a while since I've seen it, so I may have twisted the storyline a bit. But my take on the story, as I remember it with my foggy memory, is it's a movie about a guy who rises above poverty and hardship of his kind of slum, poor community uh, to achieve success and prosperity kind of through his own hard work, right? And he just perseveres, sticks with it, and uh, through his own hard work, his own blood, sweat, and tears, he becomes successful, right? Um, it's interesting that at the title of the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, somehow links his happiness with his success. 
uh, an interesting and I think sad fallacy in the world that if you're successful, you'll be happy. Um, I think if you're truly successful because your life is blessed by God, yes, you will be happy. But success in the world's eyes of being wealthy, of achieving these milestones, is, is not necessarily happiness. But I, I use that to, to illustrate this. He was pursuing success by hard work. Well, if, if for us, success is a matter of being with God, what do we pursue? Well, I think we find success by pursuing God. Right? Okay, we, we work to serve God, but we pursue success by pursuing God. We pursue a deep, abiding, intimate relationship with Him. Okay, the more he fills our life, the more he is with us, the more we understand his constant presence with us, the more his success just flows in and through our life. Um, so here's the question, okay? Is, you know, as we think this through, okay, hopefully you agree with me. I won't ask for a show of hands, but hopefully you agree. Okay, if I want to be successful, I just got to be with God. God's got to be with me. I got to be connected with God. So I need to pursue him. Okay? Now, for a long time uh, in my life, in my spiritual journey, I had this kind of picture of how this worked, that, okay, I didn't have to work hard at, at, at labor, you know, but I had to work hard at somehow finding God. Right? So you know, I needed to be praying a lot, and if I read my Bible enough and I memorized enough scripture and I went to church enough and I did all the Christian things, that eventually I would get to a plane kind of a, of spiritual maturity, of you know, kind of borderline sainthood, and God would say, okay, Tim, you finally arrived. Now I can be with you, right? And so I would labor and I would memorize and I would, I would grunt and groan trying to be spiritual so that God would be with me. Is that how it works? No, that's not how it works, Okay. This is the amazing thing, amazing thing to me. Uh, God, God is laboring to be with you, to be with me, right? There's absolutely nothing we do or can do or should do to bring God closer to us, okay? Because God's already taken every step to get as close as possible to us. Okay, here's the deal. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross as God with us, so that God could be with us. He's done everything, right? There is no labor, there is no spiritual discipline, there is no exercise, there is no spirituality, there is nothing you can do to increase God's presence with you. Except for this one simple thing, is opening the door to him by faith. Uh, Revelation 3, great picture of this. You know, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Okay, here's the deal. He, okay, here's the door. Okay, I'm standing on one side of the door, six inches away. On the other side of the door, six inches away, right here, is Jesus knocking. He's going, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I've, I've been on a long journey from far, far away, and I've come all the distance. I am here. All you have to do is what? Open the door and let me in. Okay, that's it. That's it. You don't have to crawl on your knees. You don't have to do penance. Okay, you don't have to give money. Praise God. You don't have to read the whole Bible even once, okay? You don't have to memorize a single Bible verse. Wow, who knew? You don't have to be a missionary. Oh, man, five of you decided to go home now. Yeah. Um, you don't have to do anything, 
Right? It's by His blood, sweat, and tears that He has come and made Himself available to us. All you've got to do is open the door by faith. Say, Jesus, come in. Uh, why was God with Joseph? Was He a saint? Well, no. In fact, He was kind of an arrogant, bragging, boastful teenager. Who was, you know, His brothers didn't ship Him up because they liked Him. He was obnoxious. Right? Okay? He, he, he was not Saint Joseph. He was a pain. Right? But God came to him out of his grace, out of his incredible mercy and love and goodness, out of the commitment and obligation to his own promise and his own word. Same thing's true for you and I. God comes to us on the basis of his promise, on his goodness, on his love and kindness. He comes absolutely to us, and all we've got to do is open the door. There's nothing we can do. I mean, I... It's silly, you know. I, I labored and strived and struggled, and you know, was trying to be spiritual, trying to obtain something I already had. Okay, it's kind of like going out on the beach, uh, at the ocean on a clear, bright blue day, and you know, struggling up and down the the beach, going, "Oh, I just wish I had sunlight. I want sunlight." And in the meantime, we're getting sunburned because we got so much sunlight. It's kind of what we do. Okay, he is the sun that shines all around us, and by His grace, He gives Himself to us. Just open the door. But while all that is true, there is nothing we can do to bring God closer to us. There is plenty we can do to slam the door in his face. Okay? There's lots we can do to slam the door in his face. And there is certainly it is and it is in our power and our control to distance ourselves and alienate ourselves from God. Not by his doing, by our own doing. Uh, and, and Satan knows this, okay? Satan is very clear about how this works. He knows that God is standing, knocking at the door, and Satan is vying for, for your soul, and he knows there's nothing you can do. It's just an easy step. God's there. And so G- Satan's plan and plot and ploy for you is to get you to slam the door in God's face and cut off all your relationship with him, right? And how does he do that? Well, the rest of the story. Let me read, read on. Uh, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. But she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. But he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Um... Satan is, is, is going to do everything he can to, to sever our relationship. And the thing that will keep us from experiencing and walking in God's presence is when we embrace and take hold of the world. Right? Now in this case, the temptation for Joseph is, is sexual temptation. Okay? But that really only represents one of a myriad of possibilities. Right? Anything in this world that grabs our attention, that we turn away from God and turn toward 
distances us from God and keeps us from really walking in a place where God is with us. So the whole secret to this whole deal, and we, we, we've got to pursue relationship with God, we've got to open the door, and um, you know, obviously as we open that door, we do read the Word, we do pray, we do grow in faith, but those are fruits, those are uh, the benefits and joys of that closeness with Him. But at the same time, the thing that we need to work at is maintaining purity in our life. And purity simply means detaching ourselves and entangling ourselves from the grip of the world on our life. Okay, you know, you know, because like Joseph, it is a battle you fight every day. Every day, the world is coming to you, offering to make you happy, to give you pleasure, to satisfy the longings of your heart and your life, and uh, giving itself to you. And we know the things that draw us. Immorality, um, self-respect, glory, fame. Um, you know, I, I read a great blurb by a pastor who he talked about preachers being crowd addicts. <laughs> you know, that they're addicted to being in front of people and you know, having a microphone and, a, and an audience, a captive audience. Right? It can be addictive, right? Any of those things that we turn to to give a significance, meaning, worth, purpose, value from the world and not from God sever our relationship. And when we turn to those things, we slam the door in God's face. Um, Joseph was, Joseph, in, you know, uh, he, was, he was seriously tempted. Get the picture. Here's a guy. He's a young man, later teenager, early young man, college age, somewhere in there. Um, he is, he's, a way, he's a million miles from home, not literally, figuratively. He's a long ways from home, cut off from his family, isolated. Right? No one would know. Who would know if he slept with Potiphar's wife? You know, who would know? Um, he has no reputation to keep up. Um, he's got nothing to prove. Uh, he's in a very vulnerable spot. And a lot of us recognize the vulnerability when we're isolated and alone. That's why a lot of people, a lot of missionaries, and a lot of people who travel a lot choose not to travel alone because they understand the vulnerability of being away from home and alone. Well, here's Joseph, no choice of his. You know, he didn't say, you know, hey, brothers, I can't really go to Egypt because I need a traveling companion. <laughs> I could get in moral trouble there. Right? Not an option for him. Um, and, and, and on top of that, he's got this uh, very aggressive lady who keeps throwing herself at him. Right? Now, it doesn't, thankfully, it doesn't describe if she was good-looking or not good-looking. Maybe she wasn't so good-looking. I don't know. Still, tons of temptation uh, pursuing him, right? pursuing him. Uh, it tells us what she said, and for, for uh, part of the literary device here is her words are very short, his words are very long, right? Showing kind of the shallowness of what she desired with the depth of what he stood for. But I'm sure she was very seductive. I'm sure she wasn't just using words. I'm sure there was lots of body language, lots of seduction going on. Okay, and it's not just a one-time deal, okay? It's daily, 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 right? Maybe, you know, I can just picture myself in this situation. Well, and all the pictures I come up with are not good. Because <laughs> I just, you know, tough temptation. Tough, right? 
tough. But he stands firm. And he resists uh, on the basis of some key principles. Um, first of all, uh, he says to, to, to do this would be a violation of trust. He says, you know, Potiphar has trusted me with this whole house. To do this would be a violation of trust. Secondly, it would dishonor the covenant of marriage. He says, you are Potiphar's wife. Okay? He said, for me to, to, to sleep with you would dishonor the covenant of marriage. Okay, so he upholds trust, he upholds marriage. But the bottom line is, what does he say? He says, and besides that, it would be a sin against God. Joseph understands that what's at stake here is his communion and fellowship with God. He understands that it's a matter of God being with him. And he wants to keep that door wide open. So he is committed to purity and he, uh, he has a clear strategy for, for purity. And we, we won't go through it in detail, but just real quick, uh, you know, he resists the temptation. It says, it says as, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, day after day, he would not listen to her. He would not lie beside her or be with her. It's a very strange, in the Hebrew, it's a very strange phrase because the words to lie with and beside never go together anywhere else in Scripture. It's kind of a unique way of saying it. And I think what he was saying this. First of all, he resisted the temptation. As she approached him and seduced him, he said no. He resisted her. But beyond that, uh, he would not be beside her. In other words, um, there are some people who say, well, I'm not going you know, to get involved with Internet porn. I'm not going to go sleep with a prostitute. But they get dangerously close, right? They look at things that are not quite porn, but are awfully close, right? You toy with it, you play with it, you find yourself not in sin, but right beside sin. Well, it's stupid, okay? It's stupid, and Joseph knows it's stupid, so he doesn't get beside her. Maybe she said, oh, you know, I don't have to have sex, you could just hold me, just hold me. Joseph's going, I'm not going there, okay? I'm not going there, right? It's dangerous. Not only that, he says he won't even be with her, so he won't even be beside her, he won't even be in the same room with her. He keeps his distance as far as possible. And finally, one day she corners him, grabs him. And you know, the Egyptians, you've seen the pictures, they wear kind of these skirt things, maybe like they wear in Burma or India. He probably had kind of a skirt thing like that. She grabbed, it was tied right here by a knot. You know, no belt with buckles, a knot. She grabs his knot. <laughs> okay, that's a dangerous place to be, right? Because one good pull, and there goes your skirt. That's why I don't wear a skirt with a knot, right? <laughs> And here she's got him, right? And what does he do? Well, she's, he either stays there and protects his dignity, or he lets his dignity go and he runs. What does he do? He runs, right? He runs. Forget the clothes. You can have the skirt, okay? And uh, he runs. He runs from sin, right? That's a great strategy for purity for all of us. When the world tempts you, resist. Don't play with it. Don't, don't get close to it. Keep your distance. And when it pursues you, run. Even if it means losing dignity in the process. You run from sin. You be committed and diligent to run from sin. Last thought, last point. Um, why was Joseph, and this is very significant, why was he so committed to moral purity? Okay. Uh, was it just a matter of being respectable? Right? 
I think a lot of people have a sense of morality and seek to be moral, to be pure, to do the moral thing because it's respectable. Another great, um, another great little blurb I found on, on, on the news feed, uh, L.A. Fire Department is in the midst of a huge scandal because they shot some kind of porn film with Los Angeles fire trucks, okay? Uh, and not only that, you know, not only did somebody allow these, you know, city property to be used in a porn film, but a large number of firemen were actually appearing with the fire trucks in various states of whatever, right? So, so to make matters even better, the newly appointed fire chief has admitted that he too took part in inappropriate photos in front of the fire engines. Okay, so here's a guy who's elected to the high, I mean, he's reached the highest level of whatever, in the fire department, Los Angeles. Chief Brian Cummings says that 13 years ago, while serving as captain with the Los Angeles Fire Department, he allowed pictures to be taken of himself with bikini-clad women and firefighters under his command. In addition, he allowed women to pose partially naked in front of the engine. These actions apparently violated, violated policy. Who knew there was policy? That's good to know. Uh, he says of himself, this is clearly irresponsible and in inappropriate. Um, and he said, I am accountable for my actions. So he's, he's feeling guilty. He's feeling he's done something wrong. But, but notice why he's feeling this, okay? Um, it says, additionally, the chief says he's volunteering for 120 hours of community service to reinforce public trust. Okay, so he's doing penance. Because he's blown it, he's got busted, now he's doing penance, 120 hours of community service, volunteering at a firehouse or something, I don't know. Um, to reinforce public trust, Mayor Anto Antonio, I can't even say his last name, said in a statement, I have accepted Chief Cummings' apology and I support his proposed steps to rebuild the public confidence in his professionalism. Wow, I feel better already, right? He okay, so says the thing, that's what, so that's what morality is to the world. Morality to the world is doing the right thing to be respectable in public. Right? Here's the question. Why are you being uh, and pursuing purity and morality? Sad reality is, I think, for a lot of people in the church, a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, it's simply a matter of keeping up good public image. They want to be morally pure because it's respectable. Right? We want to have a good reputation among our neighbors. Right? Is, that, is that why we should be morally pure? Well, being respectable is a good thing. And if you're a, if you're a fire chief uh, and have this kind of public exposure, you want to be guarding your exposure so that you look respectable. But is that, is that really what it's about? Was that what it was about for Joseph? Well, no. Um, and and this, is, this, is the, this is a sad thing. If being pure and moral is simply a matter of respectability, you are missing the most important thing in your life, that it's about God with us. Right? That's what it's about. Joseph understood that for him to walk into sin was to shut the door in God's face and shove God away from his life. Right? 
He wanted to be pure for one pure and simple reason. Because he wanted to be close to God. He wanted to know God's presence in his life. That should be the motivation. In fact, that's the only genuinely significant motive for untangling ourselves from the world because we want more of God. And because we understand that sin in our life jeopardizes and compromises our relationship with the Father. That we long for nearness and closeness to Him. And while we know there's nothing we can do to bring Him close, we know there's tons we can do to break that relationship. And we would be sick about it, right? That our longing and desire for Him is so deep and so real and so significant that the thought of losing that would make us sick, right? Would trouble our souls deeply. That was David in the Psalms. He said, you know, I was sick. I could not sleep at night on my bed when I did not confess my sin because he knew he had severed his connection with God and he was distant and far and it ached in his soul. Um, I hope that for all of us, we long for success, you know, the success that comes from God. And I hope we, we understand this connection that when God is with us, man, life goes well. Circumstances may not always go well. You may end up in the worst kind of circumstances. But in in the worst circumstances, you will see God's blessing. You will see God moving and working and accomplishing, carrying out His plan. But don't just pursue success for the sake of success. Pursue God for the sake of God. Long to be with Him because he is your loving father who has reached out by his own blood, sweat, and tears to make you his child. And he stands at the door and he knocks. And he desperately longs to be invited in to do what? To sit with you and have a meal of fellowship together. To be with you. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.